may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things which we looked not for, thou came down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen. O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waits for him. I want to preach to you here for a little while this morning a 212 degree church. A 212 degree church. Everybody say thank the Lord for the word. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Again, Brother Steve's song was my introduction. Here we go. We all know that at 211 degrees, water is hot. But at 212 degrees, the water is boiling. It takes the fire being turned up in order to cause the water to become a power source. Raising the temperature of the water just one more degree means the difference between something that is very hot and something that generates enough force to power a locomotive. One degree. Everybody say one degree. Boiling water with the steam it produces can power great machines. Just one more degree makes a difference in its ability to produce power. To reach a boiling point of anointing, fervency, and power, the church must ascend that one more degree. It means coming out of not mediocrity, but just a step ahead of mediocrity but falling just short of what God wants the church to be. Again, I want a 212-degree church. I refuse to stop till I get one. Hallelujah to God. It's time for some of us to let go and let God to come out of your previous church tradition, your previous church tradition, disciplines, and not be just average or status quo Pentecostals. But I'm looking for something that has a little more book of Acts written on it. Something that has some miracles written on it. Something that has power, signs. Where's all my youth corps people? That's what you've been hearing for a week. I'm not interested in mediocrity. I'm not interested in being a maintenance pastor. I want people to get fired up over Jesus because he's worth getting fired up for. He's the only thing worth getting fired up for. Somebody clap your hands and shout yes. We should take advantage not only of God, of what God wants to do for us, but to take advantage of what God wants to do 
through us. What I mean by this is simply this. Let's allow the power of the Holy Ghost to put in us those things we need to become effective, powerful, sensitive, and anointed in our prayer life, in our worship, in our praise, and even in our soul winning. What we are in here, we must be out there. So... To do that, we take advantage of prayer time. We take advantage of prayer time. You don't get this environment without somebody praying somewhere. And I believe the more people we have praying somewhere, the more of this kind of environment we'll have on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. As a matter of fact, we can have an outpouring of the Holy Ghost in prayer meeting. We had an outpouring of the Holy Ghost at praise team practice not too long ago when Heston Bunch was filled up with the Holy Ghost standing right here during praise team practice. I want a 212-degree church, not something that's cold and lukewarm and in different but I want people to be on fire for God because you love him so what I mean by taking advantage of prayer time this coming Tuesday night at 7:30 is prayer time at Grace Church will you be here it got a little more quiet than it was a little while ago Take advantage of prayer time. Take advantage of worship time like you're doing right now. Take advantage of the preaching time like I'm trying to do right now. And take advantage of altar time to connect with God in a way that our culture demands that we do it, in a way that our world demands that we do it, so that we are never the same. We're never the same again. But our relationship with God continues to increase and to grow because we want to be a 212 degree church. Jesus said, I am come to send fire on the earth. Most commentaries agree that the fire on earth here is the preaching of the Word of God. Fire stirs things up. There ain't too many people that can hang out in the middle of a fire. As a matter of fact, I've only known of three that's been able to hang out in the fire. But Jesus never did come to be mediocre. He never did come to be average. His purpose in coming was not to be the status quo. His purpose to come was to be a fanatic, to be a radical. The Bible said, Hereby we perceive the love of God, that He would lay down His life. That's pretty radical to me. The Word of God is intended to burn out all the chaff and unusable materials in our lives so that we can become the church that God is calling us to become. It's time to unleash the Word of God in our lives, in our homes, in our families, and for certain, our church, for a purification to take place in this this last hour we're living because God is trying to have a breakthrough among us and He wants to see the manifestation of His power and His might and his glory in his church all right you NAYC people Jack Cunningham could be preaching the same thing and you'd all be on your feet hooping and hollering <laughs> 
I'm just saying. Huh? But I believe that God is posturing our church for some great times. But I also believe that there's going to be some trying times as well. Paul found out in the book of Acts on the Isle of Malta that any time you start a fight, a fire, if there's a serpent in it, he's going to come out. And we're seeing the manifestation. Some of us are seeing the manifestation of the serpent. It's getting kind of hot around here, and he don't like it. And he's going to show his head. When the church begins to experience revival, the devil is going to raise his head. That's why it's absolute necessity that we should pray a blood covering over our home, our family, our kids, our job, our bank account, the whole nine yards. We've got to be closer to God now than we've ever been. I said we've got to get closer to God than we've ever been. It ain't a time to hit cruise control. It ain't a time to just rear back and say we've got it made from here to rapture. No, we don't have it made. It's going to be a daily fight, but I'm glad I know somebody that can win the fight for me because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Woo! You may be seated. I'm going to preach here in a minute. First Peter chapter 4, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye for the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified the Bible. Instead of letting trials discourage us, deflate us, and cause us to question and doubt God, let's determine to do the opposite. Instead, let it cause us to worship more, praise more, pray more, fast more, and be more fruitful. I'm doing this right now. I'm practicing this right now. When your cup boils over, it is because someone opens up the source of the fire, for it becomes hotter. God will sometimes turn up the heat because he is pushing us to the point where we will produce the power that we need to produce as the church grows with revival and harvest. The fire, the Bible said, causes the water to boil. And God is raising up a church that will manifest his power and glory in this last day. John the Baptist spoke of another form of fire. And that fire would be one that would produce a harvest and purification. It would produce harvest from the world and it would purify the church. The Bible said in Luke 3, John answered saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you, not with just the Holy Ghost. But there's a byproduct of Holy Ghost, buddy. And if you get the same Holy Ghost I got, I hear a lot of people. I know a lot of people. They get the Holy Ghost. They can speak in tongues like the proverbial Chinaman in all due respect. But there ain't no power in their life. There's nothing challenging that happens in their life. There's no miracles in their life or signs and wonders. 
I believe when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, according to the book of Acts, there needs to be a fire that gets a hold of you, man. And you're not the same. You don't think the same. You don't act the same. You don't worship the same. You don't read the Word of God the same way. It takes alcohol out of your life. It takes smoking out of your life. It takes drug abuse out of your life. It sets you free from sin and the world. And that's the fire that I want to feel in a 200-degree church. My, my, my. So while we're being revived, that is God putting in us what we need and burning out of us the carnal and unnecessary, He is simultaneously preparing a harvest. We're reasonably full here this morning. It wouldn't take but about 30 or 40 more for it to get kind of tricky in here. Y'all mind sitting crowded? Anybody feel like being a sardine for Jesus here pretty soon? All right. I'm going to hold you to that. We've just had a wonderful, some wonderful people that's started coming to Grace Church, and we're happy about that. I'm real hesitant to men- me mention this because I want them to take it in the wrong way. But they didn't ask when they started coming, is there anybody else, does, does anybody else normally sit where we're currently sitting? Sorry, Michelle, Kukandis, Dale, who else? Y'all all got shoved backwards. If you'd get here earlier, you'd beat them to your seat. Cody and Chrissy, sorry about that. Y'all got pushed back about three or four rows. I love it, man. I looked around several Sundays ago, and I thought, I don't see Billy and Michelle. I don't see them. I'm kind of used to looking where some folks are sitting right now. And I looked and looked and found them way over there in front of Boo and Melanie, and I just started chuckling. I was up here chuckling. I know what happened. They got kicked out of their seat. That's right. Love it when that happens. I hope all of you do. Let people have your seat when they're hungry for Jesus. You can sit where we don't have reserved seating here. There's reserved seating in other places, but all these chairs are open to whoever gets here first. And I long for the day at a 212-degree church where if you want a good seat, you better start coming to Sunday school. Because if you wait and come to 11, you're going to be sitting out in the lobby. <laughs> Woo! God, I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm not preaching nonsense. When God turns up the heat, He is purifying the church, but He's working on the harvest outside, buddy. And they're coming. I don't know who, and I don't know where they're coming from, but they're welcome here at Grace Church. Oh, my. You may be seated. The Bible said in this word, yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as though things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore we receiving a kingdom 
which cannot be moved. Buddy, I love that song they sang this morning. Talking about a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Pushing back the darkness. Boy, I like that song. That was perfect for this morning, man. But wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God. Is weak and anemic, and he just tatas people, and you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, it don't matter, and you can do however you feel, and God's going to be cool with it. That's not what my translation said. Our God is not just a fire, but he'll burn you up if you get in his way. Consuming fire. So that brings me to my message. So we all know that water has to eat up to 212 degrees to boil. 211 won't do it. It would be real interesting if we had 212 people here today. Actually, it's more than that. I can tell you that's going to be a whole lot more than that. But that would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? I'd just put a good stamp of affirmation on this. If we had exactly 212 people here today. I don't even know why I said that. So I'm not in my notes. But you can be 211 all you want to be. But you ain't going to boil nothing. You can be as hot. You can, I guess you could get scalded with 211 degrees. But you ain't going to boil the most simplest thing a cook can do in the kitchen. You can't even do that at 211. I believe God is looking for that one extra degree at Grace Church. That one extra degree that makes us effective and makes the difference. God is looking for someone to put forth that extra one degree of effort. You could do that this coming Tuesday night at 7.30. Instead of going home and saying, I'm tired and I had to work a little bit late and all that kind of stuff. Why don't you do that one more degree? You're that close. Your worship here this morning says you're that close. It's that one degree of extra effort in prayer and fasting and worship and praising that separates the good from the great. We are a part of something that is more than just a good church. And it's time that we set this church apart from every other church and ask for God's anointing, favor, signs, miracles, and wonders. We must press through the temptation to be an ordinary church. We must take our level of commitment to where our cup literally begins the water begins to boil god is trying to get us to that next dimension and to go there we must reach beyond the ordinary and the mundane and turn up the heat of our personal commitment so after getting plugged in spiritually will push us as individuals families and a church to the boiling point so we must pray we must pray if we're going to be discerning we must pray you got to pray every day not just once in a while and it can't be one of these little soft cotton candy kind of devotional kind of my little sweet lord kind of thing sometimes you need to get down and just throw your belly out there and let some snot and tears come out of your face and just pour your heart out to god and say i'm tired of just being ordinary and average i want to see something more in my life i'm telling you it works i've been down that path and it works and it don't take long and it's not that hard that you lay hands on the sick and they shall recover and we'll see blinded eyes open 
open and we'll see the deaf hear and the lame walk. I believe it in Jesus' name. I've got a... I've got to hurry, but I, I want to just share this with you real quick. I'll never forget that sir, that service. Uh, it was a couple of months ago. We had one of them red-hot 212 services, and uh, Brother Nixon came down the middle aisle in his wheelchair, and uh, we went back and prayed for him. I've never seen anybody. He wasn't just trembling under the power of the Holy Ghost. And all due respect at his age and whatnot, I deeply respect that. The man just started. He got in his wheelchair, and he was literally just shaking. The feeling I got was he was being electrocuted. That's what it looked like to me. And after a few minutes, he just couldn't take it anymore. You know what happened? The water started boiling. And he got up. Some of you were here and you remember it. He walked straight down here, and then he walked straight back out the door of the lobby, and he was going home. I got what I needed, so I'm just going to head on home and eat lunch. Now, I don't know what his activities are, in his private life and all that stuff. But I will say this. Since that time, I have not seen him in a wheelchair again. You know what happened? In my opinion, for the sake of this message, he lives a 200, he, he lives a very close relationship with God. And perhaps that morning he is about 211 degrees, but he bumped the heat up just one more degree and it got him out of a wheelchair. I'm preaching to somebody here today. If you'll receive the Word of God in its power, in its fervency, in its anointing, God only knows what could happen in your life. Sister Dean told me this morning right after Sunday school that she had a TIA. I don't know what that stands for. I don't remember. Some of you medical people will know. But it's, a, it's for layman's terms, it's called a mini-stroke. She had one. The doctor said she had some heavy, heavy blockage in her carotid artery. And uh, as time goes on and you make an appointments and whatnot, to make a long story short, by the time she got to the doctor, he said, it's minuscule, it's minute was her words. You know what God saved her from? A brutal surgery and recovery and some pain. God just touched her life. He touched her body and just took care of it. That's the difference between 211 and 212. I know what I'm preaching this morning in the Holy Ghost. And we see miracles, but we can see more miracles. We could see God do things that would blow our mind if we were determined to become a 212-degree church. So I want to just say to you here today as sincerely as I can, I've got to hurry. It's your choice as to how you want to live. If you want to be as worldly and all that and still be a Christian that I talked about in Sunday school class, you can do that. That's your choice. God gave you the freedom to choose. You can be a complete, pedigreed, bona fide idiot if you want to be. It's your choice. Or you can choose to let God turn the heat up on you in your life a little bit and be more than you've ever been a choice so you don't say I don't have time to teach a Bible study you say 
I'll make time. That's the difference between 2.11 and 2.12. You don't say, I don't have time to get my kids involved in quizzing. Where's Farah? I just saw her. There she is. You're welcome. <laughs> you say, I'll make time. You can be 2.11 or you can be 2.12. The choice is yours. I believe God right now is looking for the steam of a 212-degree church. He's looking for a church under the influence of the power of the Holy Ghost and fire. We must remain and maintain at the boiling point or we will be like every other church and every other people. To get what you've never had, you must be willing to do what you've never done. All right, so if we want a 212-degree church, it starts with our attitude. The only thing that stands between a person and what they want in life is the will to try and the faith to believe it's possible. It's all about attitude, that gray matter between your ears. We must maintain a, a 212 uh, uh, spirit about us that's Christian kindness. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, it is one of the most beautiful compensations in life when we... Never help another without helping ourselves. You can never help somebody else without helping yourself. We must have a 212-degree faith. One man said, faith fuels enthusiasm, and enthusiasm explodes into passion. It fires our soul and lifts our spirit. We must have a 212-degree focus. I don't really have a good emotional structure right now. As some of you know, my brother just passed away a couple of weeks ago. Very trying time. There's a lot of circumstances involved in that. I found out Friday, I have another brother that's going in in the morning for a pacemaker. I'm not having a good day today. But I'm setting all of that aside. Not for you to feel sorry for me but I'm trying to teach our church a lesson that I will control my emotions to the best of my ability and not let my emotions control me. I'm not preaching this because everything's wonderful. I'm preaching this because everything is challenging. I'm not necessarily feeling this because I've been walking on the water for the past four or five days. I've had to have Jesus pull me up out of the water several times in the past four or five days. But I'm standing flat-footed on what thus saith the Word of God. And I'm going to preach this in spite of the devil, in spite of life. I still believe it when Jesus said in my name, Shall you cast out devils? These signs shall follow them that believe. All right. All right. Here's, here's my real message. I got 13 minutes. Here's my real message. Boy, time flies when you're having fun. Oh, my. So let me ask you a question today. Are we a lukewarm church? Lukewarm is a spiritual condition that none of us can afford 
to be in. Maybe not everybody, but there's people sitting here today, you're lukewarm, and I'm going to prove it in just a minute. I've got more lukewarm in me than I'm happy about right now. God has done so much. He's brought us so far. He has blessed us too many times for us to be lukewarm. Lukewarm literally means half-hearted. Lukewarm means it is feeling or showing little interest or enthusiasm. It's a feeling that shows little interest or enthusiasm. It's a half-hearted effort. Lukewarm is literally a temperature of about 100 to 100 degree, 110 degrees Fahrenheit. If lukewarm is considered 100 to 110 degrees, it must be about halfway between zero degrees, which is really, really chilly, and 212 degrees, which is boiling. It's halfway. So I'm not a sinner, but I'm not an all-the-way saint either. And there's some folks here today that fall in that category. I'm preaching to you today. I'm preaching for you today. What is lukewarm? To determine if we are lukewarm or not, then we must know what lukewarm is. And of course, you know where I'm going. All of us are familiar with Laodicea. I preached a sermon one time called the First Church of Laodicea. In Revelation 3, and under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and increase with goods. And have need of nothing. But you don't know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. That you may be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed that thy shame and thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve. This is discerning. This is discernment. That you may see. He said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. The church in Laodicea is famous, though I'm not sure if they knew it. And I don't think they would be pleased with their legacy. We all know Laodicea was the lukewarm church and Jesus was ready to spit them out of his mouth. But what exactly does this mean? And how can we use their example to make us into a 212 degree church? So for a long time I've believed and preached the following interpretation as I've heard it preached all of my life. The temperatures used to illustrate the condition of the Laodiceans represent a scale of spirituality. Hot was being on fire for the Lord with amazing zeal. Cold was being absolutely uninterested and unconcerned about the Lord and spiritual things as, as possible. In fact, it was more than a lack of interest. It would represent a positive animosity towards God, His Word, and His kingdom.
Lukewarm, on the other hand, was somewhere in the middle. Not complete animosity or apathy, but it wasn't complete zeal for God either. It represented the person who cared enough to go to church, but perhaps was in a place of comfort and ease and not really working for the Lord or not living up to their potential at all. That's what I've always thought. So with this interpretation, Jesus is saying he would rather the Laodiceans be his complete and utter enemies than act like they were his friends when they really were not. But I come to learn several years ago that, and to come to see what I believe is a more true and accurate and relevant interpretation. Consider it this way. Like you get a mental image of two beverages. <clears throat> One useful beverage and another useful beverage. Throw me a bottle of water. I'll return in just a minute. Thank you. So let's assume that we have a useful beverage in this hand, but we also have a useful beverage in this hand. They're both useful. You can drink out of either one. They're both water. No tricks, nothing added. I heard a man say the other day he bought some powdered water but didn't know what to add. But think of this as both very useful they didn't know more catch on to that than flying to the moon. It went straight. It's, it's on the back wall back there somewhere. <clears throat> okay. Let's look at it this way. Two useful beverages. But let's say this one is hot, boiling, and this one is ice cold. This is what Jesus was saying. On a real cold day, this hot beverage, a hot cup of coffee, a hot cup of tea, a hot cup of hot chocolate is going to be very refreshing on a very cold day. On a very hot day, this ice-cold beverage, a good fountain diet Coke that has lots of burn is very refreshing. Even ice-cold water when you've been working outside. Ice-cold Gatorade, y'all get the point. But what happens if you take both of these useful beverages and set them on your kitchen counter overnight in this bottle right here? I'm not talking about a Yeti. Don't anybody go there with me. Just take these two bottles. One is ice cold. One is hot. You set it on your kitchen counter for 24 hours and come back the next day. You're freezing cold and you want a real hot beverage. What has happened? You've worked outside all day, and it's the summer. It's a hot August Louisiana day. And you want something ice cold, and you pick this one up. What happened to it? So what happens to these two beverages? They lose their distinction. They lose the purpose for which they were intended. The energy or heat from the hot drink will dissipate and the warmth from the air will warm the cold drink and they both become tepid, lukewarm, and useless. Instead, 
of having a great impact on their environment. The environment has had a great impact on them. Thank you. It has been said, and some of you medical people may understand this better than I do, but lukewarm or tepid water is sometimes what is used to make people regurgitate. Lukewarm water, I understand, can literally make people throw up. That's why God said what he said. If I partook of you relationship-wise, you would make me vomit. That's what a substance does to God when it no longer impacts its environment, but its environment impacts it. So do you see now why or what Jesus was telling Laodicea? His point was not that he would rather they be his clear enemies in a cold condition. The cold and hot has the same meaning and relevance to God. He don't want you in the middle where you have no more purpose. He wanted to impact, he wants the church to impact those that surrounds them. Sadly, the reverse has become so true of the modern day church. And Jesus said, we're kind of like a tepid cup of coffee, disgusting and useless. It's been said that lukewarm or tepid water can literally nauseate people. So I'd like for us to take a quick test here this morning as I wrap this up. I'm going to call it the lukewarm test. Lukewarm people, let's see how we fit into this category. Lukewarm people attend church fairly regular. It is what is expected of them. It is what they believe good Christians do. So they go to church fairly regularly. But God said in Isaiah 29, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as his people draw near to me with their mouth, and with their lips they do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. They don't get it. They don't feel it. They don't understand it. They just do it because they were taught it. Lukewarm people give money to charity and to the church as long as it doesn't impose or infringe on their standard of living. If they have a little extra and it's easy and safe to give, they do so. After all, God loves a cheerful giver, right? That's what lukewarm people do. Lukewarm people tend to choose what is popular over what is right when they're in conflict. They desire to fit in both at church and outside of the church. They care more about what people think of their actions, like church attendance and giving and so on, than what God thinks of their heart their life, and their attitude. Lukewarm people don't really want to be saved from their sin. They want only to be saved from the penalty of their sin. They don't genuinely hate sin and aren't truly sorry for it. They are merely merely sorry because God is going to punish them for doing it. Lukewarm people don't really believe that this new life Jesus offers is really better than the old sinful life. Lukewarm people are moved by the stories of people who do radical things for Christ, yet they do not act on it. They assume such action is far, it's too extreme. It's it's, it's Christians, not average people. Lukewarm people call radical what Jesus expected as normal from his followers. 
Lukewarm people rarely share their faith with their neighbors, co-workers, or friends. They do not want to be rejected, nor do they want to make people feel uncomfortable by talking about private issues like religion with them. Lukewarm people gauge their morality or goodness by comparing themselves to the secular world. Lukewarm people feel satisfied that while they aren't as hardcore Jesus people as so-and-so might be, they are nowhere near as horrible as that guy was in El Paso yesterday. Lukewarm people say they love Jesus, and he is indeed a part of their lives, their money, and their thoughts, but he isn't really allowed to really control their life. Lukewarm people love others, but do not seek to love others as much as they love themselves. Their love for others is typically focused on those who love them in return, like family and friends and other people they know and connect with. There's a there's a little love left over for those who cannot love them back, but much less for those who intentionally slight them, whose kids are better at other things than theirs, or with whom conversations are awkward and uncomfortable. Their love is highly conditional and very selective and generally comes with strings attached. Lukewarm people. Lukewarm people will serve God and others, but there are limits to how far they will go or how much time, money, and energy they're willing to give. Lukewarm people think about life on earth much more often than eternity in heaven. Daily life is mostly focused on today's to-do list, this week's schedule, and next month's vacation. Rarely ever do they intently consider the life to come. Lukewarm people are thankful for their luxuries and comforts and rarely consider trying to give as much as possible to the poor. Lukewarm people do whatsoever is necessary to keep themselves from feeling too guilty. They want to do the bare minimum to be good enough without requiring too much of them. Lukewarm people are continually concerned with playing it safe. They're slaves to the God of control. This focus on safe living keeps them from sacrificing and risking for God. Lukewarm people feel secure because they attend church. They repent and were baptized and feel the Holy Ghost and become a Christian. They vote Republican and they live in America. Lukewarm people do not live by faith. Their lives are so structured so they never have to. They don't have to trust God if something unexpected happens. They have their savings account. They don't need God to help them. They have their retirement plan in place. They don't genuinely seek out what life God would have them live. They have life figured and mapped out on their own. They don't depend on God on a daily basis. And their refrigerators are full. And for the most part, they're in good health. The truth is their lives wouldn't look much different if they suddenly stopped living for God. Lukewarm people probably drink and swear less than average. They drink socially and curse when they're really angry. But other than that, they're pretty good people. But besides that, they really aren't all that much different from your typical unbeliever. They equate their partially sanitized life with holiness but they couldn't be more wrong. So what are we to do if we're lukewarm? A 212-degree church stands out from the crowd when they're with their work friends and everyone's ordering alcohol. The 212-degree person says, I'll pass and I'll have a cold drink instead. It's not important that I fit in here. It's important that I fit in over there. That's what's important. 
two 12-degree person. Don't try to blend in. You don't try to make everyone like you, either spiritually or through the conduit of compromise. If that happens, you've probably become useless to God. We're only useful to Him to the degree that we are different from our environment and therefore make an impact on it. Simon Peter. We all know him. If you have any Bible in you at all, you know Simon Peter. He's the big mouth. We have several here today that fit that description. Buddy, when you're in the company of church and your friends and your support group, I love God with all of my heart. Hallelujah. I believe in Acts 2.38. I believe in Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I believe that. But when you're with your friends tomorrow of a different faith, you water that down just a little bit. You turn the heat down just a little bit because you want to fit in. That's what Peter did. He's the one that said, God, I would die for you. I'll lay down my life for you. You're not going to be crucified. Crucify me instead. I want to be the man to protect Jesus. And 24 hours later, he was warming himself at a fire and a little damsel, a little maid woman. We don't even know her name. She wasn't some big highfalutin socialite or some top-ranking Pharisee or Sadducee. She was somebody's housemaid. And she just asked a question. Are you one of his disciples? <laughs> and boy, that conscience and that heart just, something kicks in, man, and say, if I say I'm one of them, She's going to go tell a Roman, and they're going to come get me, and they're going to do to me what they're doing to Jesus. And I, I ain't having that today, so I'm just going to lie about this. No, I'm not one of his disciples. And she said, but you look like him. You act like him. You talk like him. You must be one of his disciples. And Peter said, I never knew the man. And it happened again around another fire. That's why I asked Brother Steve to... Draw me close to the fire, but the right one, the fire that's going to bring out the proper response out of me. And I'm asking, stand with me today, I'm done. I'm asking some folks here today, how did you do on our, our lukewarm test? Did you pass? Did you get an A plus on that test? I said it. I said it over and over. I had a meeting with Brother Dave this morning. I'm gonna have it, Brother Mark. This UPC thing of the UPC losing eighty percent of its teenagers, it's troubled my spirit. I've asked them to do a survey and a research of how we're doing here at Grace Church, and we're going to present that to you here pretty soon in a few weeks. 
And we're going to try to start equipping our parents with some tools. But there's some moms and dads here today. You're playing at the wrong fire. And you know it. You know who you are. You want the world. You want to be like the world. You want to fit in. You don't want to stand out. I really would like to be a soul winner, but not that kind of soul winner. I'd like to tell people I'm a believer. And just because I'm a nice person, they're going to come to Jesus. That ain't the kind of soul winning the Bible teaches. That's not kind of the teacher and preacher that the Bible talks about. The Bible said our God is a consuming fire. And I'll have you know today, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to be in the rapture, if you want your kids in the rapture, it's time to start warming by the right fire. It's interesting to me that the Bible uses the word, it uses the word backslide. It uses that word, but it didn't in this case. So I don't know if you really consider yourself backslidden. It's not that you're a heathen. It's just not that God is fulfilling all of his purpose in you. And there's people here today that you've been slapped upside the head by everything that God can throw at you, and you're still content to attend the first church of the Laodicean. I'm encouraging somebody to grab your spouse by the hand and make a beeline for an altar and say, God, turn up the heat on me. If I'm a 100, 110 degree saint, start turning up the heat on me, God. And don't stop when you get to 211. I know we're not shouting and dancing and carrying on and all of that. It's not as high pitch as it was a little while ago, and I'm sorry to be the blanket. But if I can throw a blanket on that lukewarm fire, buddy, I'm going to throw it on there. There's some folks here today that has a golden opportunity to walk up here and say, God, from this day forward, it's going to be different in my attitude. It's going to be different in my life. It's going to be different at my house. It's going to be different with my kids. It's going to be different in my marriage. I'm making a beeline for Jesus. And I don't want to be another Simon Peter that when I'm caught in a weak woman, I fail and i got to repent again. God, turn up the heat. Turn up the heat on us and help us, God, be a 212-degree church that's bawling, that's experiencing the fire of the Holy Ghost. Ethan, I don't want to put you on the spot. I'm having a hard time shutting this down. I can't get my landing gear out for some reason. But I wish all everybody could have just heard. I don't want to put you on the spot. The little guy was up here, arms raised, speaking in tongues. And that ain't even altar call yet. What about some of you lukewarm folks? When's the last time you spoke in tongues? When's the last time you've done that? Here's a teenager. 
Here's a teenager being a prime example. Sits on the front row, first chair, close as he can get to the spout where the fire comes out, close as he can get and can't get enough. Brennan was back there earlier, pacing back and forth, worshiping and praising God. Where's our moms and dads at? How come we ain't? Is anybody passing the lukewarm test here this morning? As we all come down to the front, everybody come. But I'm going to ask you to come down here saying, God, turn up the heat. If it's just one degree that I need, God, turn up the heat. I've got to be ready for the rapture. I've got to have my family ready for the rapture. I've got to be a part of this. Come on, somebody. Would you reach Godward? Would, would, would you reach heavenward? Would you throw your heart into this and say, God, I'm going to start bringing some changes to my house. We've got young people up here praying. Where's their mom and dad at? Does our moms and dads know you've got kids up here praying and crying and pouring their heart out? Come on, somebody. I care about you today. I care about your family. That's why I'm preaching like I'm preaching. We got to go to heaven, man. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Come on, mama. Come on, Daddy. Let's do this, man. We can do it. We can do this. Yes, we can. We can. We can. Woo! God, I feel the Holy Ghost. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Oh, God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Oh, God, I feel the power of your Spirit. That's right. Come on, young folks. Come on, young folks. Let God fill you up again with the power of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. If there's somebody close to you praying, pray with them. Find somebody to pray with. 
Pentecost is not a spectator sport. We don't stand around, stare, and find somebody to pray with. Encourage somebody. Help somebody. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Come on, somebody. Break out of your box. Break out of your box. Break out of that shell of old traditional ways and worship God and talk in tongues for a little while. Let the Holy Ghost have his way. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. <laughs>